0: Zero, by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 5, Gary Phillips Loses It All. It was very late when Gary Phillips arrived back at his home. The house was dark and he felt his way past the furniture into his study. Slowly he shut the doors to his study and flipped on the light switch. His eyes ached for a few moments from the brightness. He sat down at his desk and leaned back in his chair when he saw a note in his wife's handwriting. Gary, call Fred Briggs important. Although it was late, he dialed the number of his closest friend, Donnelly and Quigley. Hello, Fred, he said apprehensively. Gary? Yeah, Fred, I have a message here from Ellen to call you. Something important? Oh, Gary, it's uh, Donnelly. He's fuming. Donnelly? What the hell's his problem now? Demanded Phillips. You, he saw you on TV tonight. How did that prison thing, said Briggs. Oh, no, I was afraid of that. What did he say? I'm under orders not to discuss this with you, but he's been trying to get a hold of you all night. Under orders? For God's sakes, Fred, what is this, under orders? Gary, I'm a loyal company, man. Loyal? To whom, Fred? To me, Gary, come on, blasted Phillips. You better call him. That's all I can say, Gary. Goodbye. Yeah, thanks, Fred, said Phillips as he hung up and dialed Donnelly's home number. The line rang for the longest time and his hands began to tremble slightly as he waited for Donnelly to answer. He looked at his watch. It was 11:29. "Hello, Herbert Donnelly speaking," said the self-assured man on the other end. "Herb, this is Gary," said Phillips in a shaky voice. Donnelly refused to allow him the courtesy of a prompt response and he remained silent for over 10 seconds. "Herb?" asked Phillips. So, you don't know, give your number to your wife where you can be reached. Uh, maybe you don't care, he said in a grinding, abrasive tone. Herb, I. I've been trying to reach you, Mr. Phillips, for, let's see, five hours and 29 minutes, he said, and uh, he continued arrogantly. But, Herb, I was going to. Five clients, Gary, said Donnelly, disregarding Phillips' attempt to explain. Five clients, including Ira Hansen, have contacted me to express their outrage over your little performance tonight. You're wondering, Gary, why Darling and Quigley would engage in such theatrics. Phillips covered his eyes as he listened to the tirade. It was purely spontaneous, Herb. I was in the crowd and... My question is this. What in God's name are you doing out there with that riffraff? I'm worried about you, Gary. Extremely worried. I'm recommending two courses of action for your problem. One, take some time off. And two, see a psychiatrist. I've already taken the liberty of making an appointment with Dr. Bellamy. You can begin your time off. Before you begin your time off, you'll attend a meeting tomorrow morning in the Sinesta Room with Ira Hansen. Ellen will be required to be present. When you arrive, you will bring a general retraction of all your comments that you made tonight. You'll have the Hansen account with you, too. I assume it's not done. Finish it! I want to show our clients that we stand for something. Now, do you think you can handle this? Yes, sir said Phillips, grinding his teeth. Herb, I really think... Look, get this through your head. You're going to write a retraction and follow my orders. I know what's best for this agency, and if you value your position, you'll respond appropriately, said Donnelly as the line went blank. Phillips slammed down the receiver and fell across the desk. Stupid, pompous, he mumbled in exasperation as he put the telephone back on the hook. Ah, he said standing and banged his fist into the wall behind the desk. As he looked at the cracked plaster, he began to wonder, for the first time in his life, whether everything he had worked so hard for many years to achieve was all worth it. Shortly after his address to the life protesters, Brian Carey was contacted by the front offices of the Miami Tropics. George Beadlehouse, the general manager of the tropics, wanted to see Kerry in his office at 10 o'clock the next morning. No explanation was given for the purpose of the meeting, but Kerry was strongly urged to be on time. Kerry had been waiting on the 13th floor of the Tempura building, a 60-story glass panel building on the east side of Miami overlooking the ocean. He leaned on the thick wood railing and looked, out and o- looked over the blue Atlantic. Tapping his fingers impatiently on the oak, he wondered what Beetlehouse had on his mind. Receiving a call from Beetlehouse usually meant a favor. Carey was a commodity. The Beetlehouse peddled freely, but in return he had given Carey a free reign to commit himself to a diverse conglomeration of social causes. Carey was still tapping as Beetlehouse's secretary walked into the lobby from the inside. He's ready to see you, Mr. Carey said the aging woman who had a strong affection for the superstar. Ah, good old George, right on time, said Carrie as he looked at his skin eye of his watch. And where will I be going this time, Rita? The secretary followed Carrie through her office and then shut the door to Beetlehouse's office as Carrie went inside. The powerful executive sat behind his desk talking on the telephone with the thick stub of a cigar hanging out of the corner of his mouth. He had bristly white sideburns, and although he had lost most of his hair, he folded the rest over the top of his head. Always well-dressed, Beetlehouse wore a dark blue suit, a white shirt, and a polka dot tie. Kerry sat down on the chair next to the desk and helped himself to Beetlehouse's cigar box. Look, we need a stronger bench, Lenny. Uh, I don't care how you do it. The draft is coming up. I want a list of available utility men. I don't mean to sound ostentatious, but... uh I want to win next year. We got the best nine men in baseball and a bench that looks like a bunch of old ladies, blasted Beetlehouse as he listened to the scout on the other end of the line. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who's been around for a few years. Exactly. Talk to you later, Len. What? No, I got the big guy in here. I will. Okay, Len. Goodbye, he said as he set down his telephone and looked at Carrie, who was sifting through the papers on his desk. "'Anything interesting in those papers?' "'Nope, George, you're slipping. "'You used to have some good scuttlebutt in your mess on your desk,' said Carey, puffing on the cigar. "'What do you mean? I knew you were coming, Carey. "'I hid all the good stuff.' (laughs) "'What's up, George?' said Carey as he leaned back in the chair. "'He had a great self-assuring knowledge "'that he was Beetlehouse's pride and joy. "'You better watch it, kid. "'Those cigars will stunt your growth.' needle-beetle house as he arranged the disheveled papers on his desk. desk. What I called you up here for is to talk about life. If you wanted to get philosophical, George, why didn't you just do it on the phone? said Carey with a sparkle in his luminous green eyes. You know what the hell I mean. Do you honestly think you can make an impact on this whole prison execution thing? I really don't know, George. The movement seems to be very stagnant. I don't know if the leaders can be blamed. People are just extremely apathetic, he said seriously. This life organization is slipshod, and the issue of capital punishment is unshakable in the minds of most people. It's a consuming and losing battle, Brian, he said, pointing a cigar at Kerry. Right, but there is a moral consideration, asserted Kerry. What are you saying, George? You want me out of this thing? And I'm positive it'll end up hurting you in the end. I thought your speech was right on target. Very inspirational. But you're not God, Brian. You can't move mountains. George, I have to continue this. People are counting on me, and I'm morally compelled to speak my mind on this, he said as he held up the cigar. Hey, look, look, it's a favor to me, said Beetlehouse. I'm sorry, George. You know I'd do just about anything for you or the tropics, but not this. This whole thing, killing people on TV, it's insane. It's a circus. He said in a huff as he put out the cigar in an ashtray. I was just trying to do what's best for you and the tropics. I think what I've said is the right course. You go home, Brian. You think about it from all angles, and we'll talk again before this homestand ends. I will, George. I will, George, said Carrie as he rose from the chair. I didn't mean to be hostile. Nor do I, son, nor do I. But I do feel deeply, said Beetlehouse, putting his arm around Carrie's shoulder but I do feel deeply about this. I'll consider what you say. By the way, congratulations on the homestand. You guys, you guys buried the Angels this week. <laughs> said Beetlehouse. Yeah, we, yeah, we've all perked up now that we've been eliminated from the race, observed Carey. Well, maybe we can take on the Yanks tonight. Then it's on to Chicago next week, George. Chicago is freezing. Why don't you schedule some final games at home or on the coast? "'How much pull do you think I have?' he asked as he walked with Carrie toward the door. "'You do all right, George. You don't con me. "'Brian, Brian, thanks for coming down, and good luck in the game tonight. "'Anytime, George. Like I said, if there's anything else I can do.' "'I appreciate that. Have a good day, Brian,' he said as Carrie walked out. Beetlehouse watched him leave the outer section and disappear into the elevators. "'He closed the door to his office and walked across the carpet, puffing on his cigar.' Lifting up the telephone, he punched out a long-distance number. Hello, 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 he gobbled as he heard a number of distant voices on the other end. Now this is Mr. Zimmerman. Get him to the phone, said Beetlehouse as he sat behind his desk and waited. Finally, another voice came over the line. Yes, I did talk to him. He wouldn't budge, and I can't say i blame him. No, forget it. What harm will it do? Oh, come on, that's just being paranoid. What? What? I can't do that. You wouldn't dare. Are you threatening me? I don't believe it, shouted Beetlehouse as he paused for a few seconds. I'll tell you right now, you get me boxed into a corner and I don't like it. I don't like these bullying tactics one bit, he said as the party on the other end hung up on him. He held out the receiver, staring incredulously. Freeing the line he quickly dialed another number. Hello, Gil. Get a hold of Jake Dorsey. I've got a strictly confidential one for you. I want you to dig up, dig up everything you can on Brian Carey. It's just past four o'clock when Gary Phillips and his wife walked into the sinister room. Donnelly sighted them at once and crossed the room while trying to light a cigarette. Ellen, Gary, he said as he broke into another spell of hacking. <laughs> <laughs> he said as he snatched the Manila folder from under Phillips's arm. He opened it and he, he opened it and adjusted his glasses, gulping on his cigarette. He studied the retraction. Ah, uh, this is more in line with what we want. <laughs> <laughs> he said as he inhaled again. I'm sure Iro will have. I'm, I'm sure that Iro have absolutely no objections to this. Very good, 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 good. Maybe, maybe you won't need the rest of it after all. Gary, come on, let's get over to the table. Mr. Donnelly, said Ellen, as they sat down at the semi-circular table along the wall. We want to apologize to you personally for the remarks that Gary made out at the prison yesterday. He is under a lot of pressure. Phillips, head snapped to the left, and he looked at her in disbelief as they had discussed no such apology. He turned away, frowning, and began to daydream as he looked around the room. Gary is an asset to the agency. <laughs> I think he's learned his lesson, right, Gary? Phillips was lost in thought as... Now, we'll have some, uh, pre-dinner drinks as we wait for Hanson. Waiter! He said as he raised his hand. The young man in the lavish white suit rushed over to the table. Yes, sir, I am ready for the drinks you mentioned. Yes, we are. I'll have a beer, said Phillips, as the waiter started to leave. Delay that, waiter. Overruled Donnelly. He lowered his voice as he leaned toward Phillips. Hanson always likes a martini. So what? So what? mimicked Donnelly. I don't want to rock the boat, Gary. What does Hanson care about what I drink? All I want is a simple draft beer, argued Phillips as he shook his head in disgust. Donnelly didn't respond to his words, and soon Phillips let his mind wander away from his present difficulties. Hanson should be here (laughs) shortly, said Donnelly, as Phillips' daydreaming seemed to irritate him. Gary, are you even listening to me? Phillips looked over to his boss with a dumbfounded expression. Sure, Herb, go ahead. Now, we should hit him hard with the television approach and keep him away from the newspapers. Frankly, I think Hanson's a jerk, an amateur, who stumbled into his father's business 20 years ago and knows less about it than when he took it over. That's possible. He thinks he knows how to advertise, and that's a problem. He doesn't know the ropes like I do, rambled Donnelly. Phillips heard the same critical attitude about all their clients in one way or another for close to twenty years, so he let the self-serving Donnelly continue. people in this town, Ellen, they're tight with their money. And when they do spend it, they spend it in the wrong areas. But as we all know, they'll tie it up with the proper persuasion. Yeah, I suppose they will, Herb, said Phillips as he leaned his elbow on the table. Ah, here comes Hanson now, exclaimed Donnelly as he slid around the table bounced over to a tall, slender man with a crew cut. Mr. Hanson, what a pleasure to see you again. I was just discussing your advertising expertise with Phillips. Donnelly, and, Miss, and Mrs. Hanson, yeah, said Donnelly to the timid lady next to Hanson. Marty, don't you, don't you look ravishing. Thank you, Mr. Donnelly. Please come over to the table. I'm sure this will be a productive dinner. The waiter had returned with the drinks and was serving them as the party proceeded to the table. One minute, waiter, yelled on Lee. Can we, can we get anything for you, Mr. Hansen? Yes, a uh, martini for both of us, requested Hanson. Oh, I didn't know you drank martinis. Exactly what we wanted. Waiter, bring us two more martinis, he ordered as he looked over to the unhappy Phillips. You know, Gary Phillips and his lovely wife, Ellen... Oh, you're too kind, said Ellen. <laughs> I'll say, mumbled Phillips. Uh, yes, yes I do. Let's be seated, suggested Donnelly as he lit up another cigarette. fumbled his way through the manila folder and pulled out a copy of Phillips' retraction. His hands trembled and his voice was shaky as he handed the folder to Hanson. Mr. Hanson, as you pointed out yesterday, Phillips' statements at the prison were totally out of character with the image of Donnelly and Quigley. I think this retraction will rectify the situation. Yes, I uh, was rather concerned, said Hansen as he looked at Phillips and then scrutinized the paper. Good, good. I certainly think this will set the record straight. Mr. Phillips, your apology is accepted. Phillips was closed-mouthed as the retraction was not an apology at all, and he twisted his mustache around as his emotions intensified. Okay blasted Donnelly before Phillips could answer. You see, Donnelly and Quigley is in the advertising business and not the political business. (laughs) Sounds like one of your slogans, Donnelly. Now, can we get some food over here so we can get down to business? The dinner went well. They discussed most of the ad campaign which it was decided was to be concentrated in the newspapers. Donnelly did most of the talking with Phillips despondently gazing around the restaurant. When they finished their dinner, Hanson lit up his pipe and Donnelly returned to the lobby for another pack of cigarettes out of the machine. My problem, Donnelly, is that that damn union's gonna drive me crazy and and make me broke. I quite agree, Mr. Hanson. Unions have cut into the corporate profits of every sector of this country's economy. Don't you agree, Gary? Huh? Asked Phillips. Agree with what, Herb? About the power of the unions! He said Donnelly, gritting his teeth. Unions, unions. Unions have their beneficial aspects. Take the wages of the average working man in this country. Beneficial, roared Hanson as he held his pipe in his hand. Those low lowlifes are going to put me out of business. Who the hell are they, anyways? Why should I become a wet nurse to a bunch of illiterate slobs? Exactly, agreed Donnelly, and he saw the anger building in Phillips's eyes. Find it all over, Mr. Hanson. What do you mean, ignorant slob? Well, <clears throat> began Donnelly as he attempted to straddle the fence between Phillips's anger and Hanson's account. The minority problem is uh, well-known, right, Mr. Hanson? you damn right, Donnelly. We're going to tear down everything we've built in this country. And all our end money ends up in the welfare check of one of those degenerates. What's the matter with you, Phillips? Are you one of those bleeding-hearted liberals. Ah, oh, screw this cried Phillips as he stood up and threw his napkin on the table. "'Everything's black and white to you guys, isn't it? "'Either I think like you, or I'm a liberal. "'Why don't you have a little compassion for the people's needs "'rather than the arbitrary labels you pin on them? "'You know, it's very easy for you to sit here smoking your pipe and spouting off. "'You've had everything handed to you, Hanson,' bowed Phillips as he turned to leave. "'I built this company, not my old man.' Philip stopped in his tracks and walked back to the table with a fierce madness in his eyes. All you are is a no-good son of a bitch, he yelled, standing right over Hansen. All you care about is your profit, your precious business. What about your employees? Isn't it time we started looking at people as people and started categorizing them as neat little groups just to pacify our own egos and pocketbook? Gary, you're pushing your luck. Give you value your job, you'll apologize to Mr. Hansen at once demanded his boss. Gary, pleaded Ellen. He turned his rage over and stomped out of the restaurant. Ellen began to weep back at the table and Donnelly began his sweet talk once again. We'll get him straightened out, Ellen. We'll get him straightened out, (laughs) said the distraught Donnelly. Boy's got big problems. Big problems, her. Big problems. Phillips stomped across the parking lot of the restaurant with his hands in his pockets. He knew he had just lost his job, and he knew he probably lost his wife. The second inning, the Yankees with a three-run bulge here in the third. Traffics are threatening with runners at the corners. Count on the big guy is one ball, one strike. Ramon gets the sign, checks the runners, and fires. Well Then the fastball blazed right by Carey. It's in the hole now, one and two. Carey did not like that call. He's stepping out of the box. Looks down at the first base coach, Davey Gomes, and he steps back in. Malone looking for his 18th win here tonight in Miami. He's ready. Checks the runners in the pitch. The ball is hit to deep left field. The ball is tagged. It's going. Going. It's gone. Home run. Brian Carey blasted into the fourth row. The Tropics have made it even here in the third inning. For Kerry, his 40-second home run, and here's the replay. Slow-hanging fair ball. Kerry was ready for that one. Connecting squarely, and the ball flew out of here. The big guy just keeps on going. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.